Well, that's it, folks. The end of the 2022 regular season. The Cubs go home with a bang today, a 15-2 win in Cincinnati. We are back with another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, number 85. Just Randall and I this evening. We're going to keep things uh, tight here tonight, Randall. Just some quick thoughts as the season comes to a close earlier today. We'll decompress for the next week or so. We'll get Jeremy back next week, and we'll do a proper debrief of this 2022 season. I think there's some value there in us getting a little bit of space between the end of the season. Next week, we'll talk about our favorite moments. We'll go to the peaks, the valleys, all the highs and lows of the season. But I do want to get some of your thoughts here today, Randall. 74 and 88. That's how the Cubs finish in 2022. That's a three game swing from a year ago. And I saw that and I thought, wow, it certainly felt like a much better year than a year ago. Uh, Funny how that works. Yeah, it's funny what not dealing with triplicate emotional trauma mid-season will do for your your memories of a season uh you know lots to say about this season like you said we'll get to it when we go, do get jeremy back in the fold he's uh busy doing jeremy like things which can encompass a very long list of possibilities uh but you know i, I want to i'm hoping that in time we can look back on the season as a 2014 like season the season where in retrospect you could kind of see it come together you could kind of see the the need for the high priced pieces that eventually got brought into the fold. So I'm hoping this year will look better in retrospect than it does right now. As it was, there was some promise this season. I don't think yeah. it was all bad. Uh, they avoided 90 losses. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's not nothing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to say about this season, and I don't think it's all bad. I'm with you 100%. I think a big part of it, why it feels so much better this year, even though it's just a three-game difference in terms of wins, is the Cubs got better. I mentioned this last week. The Cubs got better this year as the season went on, where last year you traded some World Series heroes. To your point, middle of the year, the team got worse as the season progressed. So, you know, you finished strong. They had the best record in the National League from the middle of September on. They were very good, really, from the beginning of September on and just being more competitive. And I think that's part of the reason why it, it feels good here going into the off season. It's like the team is bringing some momentum, a, a 15 to two win against the Reds, really strong baseball the last week of the year. That's much better than sort of limping to the finish line, like say another team in Chicago. Yeah. You know, and I do think it's a little silly that we talk about uh, momentum in the last game of the season as if what you do on October 5th is going to carry all the way over to the, the last day of the following March. But this is our last Cubs baseball uh, of, of regular season baseball until next spring. And it's much better to go out with a, a much better taste in your mouth as opposed to uh, the, the taste of a loss. Losses don't yeah. taste good. Wins taste better. So I'm with you. Randall. There's a couple things I want to talk about. We're going to really quickly here kind of move through our favorite player, most improved player, your biggest disappointment. And then, as I said, we're going to reflect on that for the next week. We'll get Jeremy back in. We'll do a more thorough look at that next week. What I also want to get to here tonight, a quick look at the Major League Baseball playoffs, which get going here in a couple of days. We've got some international baseball news and maybe a minute on the Bears, but uh, not a whole lot to say there that's nope. very positive right now. No, uh, we, but- will spend, we will spend 15 seconds on each of their field goals. That will cover one yeah. minute, and that's everything <laughs> that needs to be said. Well, offense, a problem for the Bears. Offense, uh, not a problem, at least for the Cubs today. Uh, I do want to start with your thoughts on an offensive player. Not an offensive player, but an offensive player. Randall, when you look back on this year, who was your favorite position player to watch 
over the course of the season? Well, in a vacuum, I would have given one player, but we do have Jeremy's answers here. So in order to differentiate a little bit, I'm going to say Christopher Morrell, just because wow. it's a guy who every time he does something good, you can't help but be happy for him. All these great super cuts floating around of him, high-fiving umpires and opposing players, hugging guys. He's just like a, like a golden retriever who can't wait to meet everybody and smell everything. And the, the, the joy he brought to this team, it was infectious. And when he does something good, you can't help help it smile great answer ton of fun watching him and and that was a guy that i think way back earlier in the year even i said i don't even know if this guy's ever going to make it to the majors or stick in the majors he had a wonderful season and was a lightning rod for that chicago cubs offense jeremy's not with us tonight but i did ask him to submit his choice who did jeremy go with Jeremy went with Nico Horner. And honestly, if I did not have Jeremy's answer in front of me, that's probably who I would have picked because this is a guy who's going to factor into this team um, very heavily going forward. And, you know, for maybe a little different of a personality than Morrell, but you know, this isn't a guy who's just on a one-year contract. This isn't a guy who got off the scrap heap. This was a number one pick of yours just a couple seasons ago. And I think success of the team going forward is going to hinge a lot on him. So this is another guy for different reasons. Every time he does something good, you can't help but appreciate it because that's another building block of the future, getting that much stronger. Awesome to see Nico have that type of breakthrough season here. It's completely sped up, I think, the expectation of when this team is going to be more competitive, in part because Nico Horner's been playing so well. I went a different direction with this, too. The question, favorite position player to watch this season, I can't really disagree with either of you, but to put another name in the mix, Ian Happ. Uh, Ian Happ had a marvelous season, and it's a season that we've been waiting for since he broke through with the Cubs back in 2017. Uh, never before in his career did Ian Happ have a two-war season, and he finished at three and a half this season. He had the lowest strikeout rate of his career, and just to see him finally become an all-star, very satisfying. And this is a guy that I thought in June wouldn't even be on the team post-trade deadline. Now you're wondering, well... Maybe he even gets an extension or you figure about keeping him in the mix moving forward. So my favorite position player to watch this season, it's got to be Ian Happ. Uh, very satisfying, Randall, to see him finally break through as well. Very satisfying. And uh, I have a feeling he's probably going to show up in another question that we have down the line right here. But Ian Happ, a guy who's there's been a lot of peaks and valleys for him mm -hmm. in his major league career. And he evened that out a little bit this year. And an evened out Ian Happ is a very solid player. So you can't help but yeah. be happy for him too. All right. Favorite starting pitcher. What do you got, Randall? I'm going to go with Marcus Stroman. I love um, it. You know, and again, there's a lot of not wrong answers right here, but Marcus Stroman, uh, individual who just exudes positive energy, positive thinking. Uh, and again, he's the first big free agent that we as Cubs fans got to celebrate in a good uh, almost four years. And, you know, that that feels good when he goes out there and pitches well for the Cubs. You remember he chose to come here. The money had yeah. a lot to do with it, but he chose to come here. He appreciates the fans. He appreciates Wrigley. He appreciates the city. And you just can't help but appreciate that when he does all those things and then goes out and pitches well for the Cubs. So uh, Marcus Stroman, my favorite starting pitcher in 2022. You know what? I had the same choice. So I'm going to back you up 100% there. Something I really liked about Marcus this year is because in June or so, I wasn't so high on Marcus Stroman. He seemed to get better as the season went on. At least he finished very strong. Five of his last six starts, at least six innings. And that's something in this day and age in Major League Baseball. I think when you look at the month-by-month -month breakdown, he actually was really good in May. 
But he had that injury. He missed a couple of weeks. He came back in July, and he seemed to be that guy the Cubs went out and signed. He's not an ace. The expectation is he's not going to be an ace. But if Marcus Stroman pitches like he did the last three months of the year next season, the Cubs will be a much more competitive team. So I'm going with Stroh. And Stroman says uh, on the record that he thought the the, the weird spring training coming out of the lockout affected him as well. And Stroman, someone who's just so in tune with his body and his arm and his shoulder, if he says that, I'm inclined to believe him or at least give him the benefit of the doubt going into what we hope is a normal spring training next season. And again, that's somebody yeah. who's just so in tune with his craft that if he says that, I'm inclined to at least give him the benefit of the doubt. Jeremy and, provided well, us. Hold on. I got one point on top of that, too. It's not just been this spring training, too. The last three spring trainings have been disrupted. So it's been a long time since pitchers have had the normal ramp up time and normal start to a season. So I'm buying what Marcus is what Marcus is saying there, and I'm all in on him for next year. I think he's going to be great. Fingers fingers crossed that for 2023 in general, but for 2023 spring training, we don't have any new pandemics. We don't have any new labor issues. Let's you know let's let's try and mark passage into a new era with a normal spring training for the first time since 2019. I hope, I hope, because uh, I think it impacts the pitchers more than the hitters. Absolutely. I don't think hitters need a month and a half to get ready for the start of a season. They need a couple of weeks. Pitchers, completely different story, and that's three in a row that's been messed up. Absolutely. The veteran hitters will tell you they need X number of at-bats to get themselves ready for the season. That's, as I think, as much mental and as much of a timing thing as it is a physical thing. The, the pitchers have to ramp up. They have to, I think, do a lot more warming up to where they need to be than the hitters do. So I, I very much believe that it affects the pitchers more than the hitters. The question was favorite starting pitcher. You and I are on the Stroman train. Jeremy's got a good one here, though. Justin Steele is who he picked. That's the guy, Randall, that led the Cubs in war. 2.6 war this year from Justin Steele. He's done everything he can to go into spring training next year, expecting to be a starting pitcher for the Cubs next year. Good call from Jeremy. Hard to not appreciate Justin Steele's hard work, too. He's another guy who seemed to get better as the season went along. Uh, you know, he's homegrown. He's left-handed. Um, he was kind of getting distant or absentee lessons from John Lester, who would watch his starts and um, come up with little things, pass it along to David Ross. David Ross would pass him along to Justin Steele. That's the kind of guy who you like to see perform well on the mound for the Cubs. So Jeremy's answer is a, another solid one, Justin Steele. And I will also throw in a tip of the cap to Adrian Sampson, who I think exceeded everybody's expectations this year and uh, unfortunately left the game with an injury today. So hopefully he's okay. He'll be back maybe next season, but boy, he kind of put it together. One and a half war. Adrian Sampson, the third best Cubs starting pitcher statistically this year. Nobody had that in the start of spring training. So good for him. I would love to take that tidbit back to March 2022 BTYL and just drop that in as a note from the future and watch watch the reactions. Yeah. No, no, we certainly didn't see that coming. Uh, and even a couple starts into the year, I remember saying, hey, is there something with this guy? And as a podcast, we were pretty skeptical. He pitched well, though. And he did. Arms for next season. So we'll see how all that sort of plays through. 
We mentioned our favorite starting pitcher. Let's look at the bullpen, which had plenty of highs this year for the Cubs. Randall, who's your favorite reliever to watch this year for the Cubs? My favorite reliever, a converted outfielder yeah. from none other than Michigan State University, uh, favored, favored college of our good friend Kern. That's Brandon Hughes, uh, another guy who came up relatively unheralded. I don't think you make it to the major leagues without being at least a little bit heralded. But again, he's a converted outfielder, a left-hander. He throws with a little bit of juice. He goes 93-94. He's got that great slider. And he entered that so-called circle of trust on the part of David Ross. And he got some save opportunities down the stretch. And there was a lot more good than there was bad in those opportunities. So, you know, when, when a guy enters the circle of trust for a manager, he kind of enters your circle of trust as well. You trust that when he goes out there, he's going to get the job done. And Brandon Hughes did that. And I appreciated watching him pitch um, again, especially as a guy who uh, was drafted as a position player and had to reinvent himself on the minors and then made the major leagues as that converted pitcher. My only concern with Brandon Hughes, because he was my pick too. He's my favorite guy to see in the bullpen this year is they used the crap out of him the second half of the year. It seemed like every day or every other day he was on the mound and wrapped things up for the Cubs here today. Brandon Hughes had the second most appearances of any Cub reliever this year behind just Rowan Wick. He finished third on the team with eight saves. So he pitched in a lot of high leverage situations down the run here, and he pitched really effectively. So 100%, Brandon Hughes, my favorite reliever. And my again, my only concern about Brandon Hughes, we know relievers can be volatile creatures. Yeah. They can be good to bad season to season. I'm hoping we didn't get a great season out of a guy unexpectedly in an otherwise lost season. And then they end up counting on him for next year and he ends up uh, turning into a pumpkin. I don't think that'll be the case. I hope it's not the case. That's that's my only real concern about Brandon Hughes. Well, Jeremy went in a different direction than us. They, he went with the old veteran, David Robertson, as his favorite relief pitcher. Robertson had 36 appearances for the Cubs this year. He finished Randall, 22 games, led the team with 14 saves. Five years from now, Randall, when we're doing a random Cubs trivia here on the podcast, and I say, who led the 2022 Chicago Cubs in saves? Are you going to remember David Robertson? You know, I, I think I will. I think he's one of those, you know, when, when we get to remembering some guys some years from now, I think that's one of those guys we'll remember as, you know, being half a, a Cub for half of a bad season, just because in the bad season, players like that tend to stand out more. Yes, absolutely. Uh, David Robinson was a overwhelming success for the Cubs in that he was just seeing, is there anything left in the tank? He was super effective. 2.23 earned run average in his 36 games with the Cubs as a 37 year old. So good call there from Jeremy. And uh, one of those guys, the Cubs were able to move midway through the year. And, you know, they didn't necessarily sign him to be the closer. They signed him as a veteran with closing experience. Yeah. And then he went out there and he closed the opening day win. And David Ross says, yeah, I like, uh, I like the shape of that. And, you know, he just sort of took that closer role when there wasn't really a defined one to start start the season and he got himself traded to a uh, an eventual playoff team so you know I think everybody benefited from that I think there's a lot of uh, younger guys in that bullpen who probably benefited from watching him day in and day out um, benefited watching him negotiate his own contract because he does not have an agent he negotiates his own contract so yeah good for David Robertson um, one of those reclamation projects and the Cubs were able to get a good half season out of him and get a decent pitching prospect for him totally Here's another guy, too, that I think you could say, oh, I really loved watching him, Scott Efros, Hoosier, 
also led to a wonderful trade acquisition for the Cubs, possibly a trade that will impact the Cubs starting rotation for years to come. I think if you threw out um, even Keegan Thompson, who spent quite a bit of the season as a starter, but in the bullpen appeared to be really dominant. Lots of interesting names there if you're listening to this right now, but I like what we're all going with. And uh, ultimately the bullpen felt like a strength this year for the Cubs. You know, and it was a little rough after they traded their top four relievers in Robertson, Givens, Efros, and uh, Martin at the trade deadline. It was a little rough as some guys settled into new roles after that. But ultimately, once they settled in, it wasn't a bullpen you necessarily felt was going to um, implode night in and night out. And for a team this bad, that's, you know, it doesn't seem like a high bar to reach, but it's nice to have nice to have had confidence in at least one position group on this team all right Randall a couple more questions here for you who do you feel was the most improved player from last season to this year Uh, I'm going to take Nico Horner I think it's hard to discount the improvement that he made I think you've got yourself a guy who's either going to be a pretty good shortstop or possibly an elite second baseman depending on what the Cubs do with the infield this offseason and I think I don't know that you could say that about Nico a year ago he'd been injured quite a bit the performance wasn't always there when he was on the field I think he put a lot of that to bed this season I think he proved he can be a, a top echelon major league starting shortstop and that's just about the best improvement you can do is proving that you really belong in yeah. the major leagues and that's what Nico did this season I think of all the questions that we ask here, this is the one that would be almost unanimous among Cubs fans. You could maybe make the case for a guy like Ian Happ, and I made that argument earlier and that he was my favorite position player to watch this year, but Nico Horner made a statement and he had a big year. And at the beginning of this podcast, I said, well, maybe the Cubs look at considering Ian Happ as an extension. I think the front runner of any Cub right now to get an extension going into next year is going to be Nico Horner because he was in fact the most improved player. And Jeremy said the same thing. This podcast was all about Nico here for the most improved player. And I think we covered that. We, we are a Nico-centric podcast. We are behind the yellow line. And we are also behind Nico full bore. I want to be positive tonight. I'm, I'm, was, I had a good time watching the Cubs wrap up the season with a dominating win in Cincinnati today. Next week, we're going to have more of a chance to get into some of the bad things that happened this year. But let's just be honest here for a minute. Randall, who do you think was the biggest disappointment in terms of an individual player for the 2022 Cubs? Well, this is another situation where I see Jeremy's answer, and I want to go a little different from it. I was a little disappointed in um, some of the relievers that they called up from Iowa. All season, or at least half season, we've been doing the the prospect corner, highlighting different relievers. Um, Ethan Roberts, uh, it doesn't feel fair to call him disappointing you know, out with the Tommy John pretty early in the season, but it has to be disappointing for him. And it's disappointing. We didn't get to see him pitch a whole season and didn't get to see him pitch up to his potential. Eric Elman had his struggles. Jeremiah Estrada, he came up. He didn't quite have the carry on the fastball that had made him so good in the minor leagues. So collectively, I was going to say, I would have liked to have seen a little better performance and more performance from the various top flight relievers they were able to call up from the minor leagues. But, uh, you know, relief pitching, like I said, is volatile. These guys are all young. I do think they will all bounce back, and I do think they can be contributors to a major league bullpen on a contending Cubs team. To echo your thoughts there, too, um, Manny Rodriguez is another name to go in there. And I'm not saying that he pitched poorly in his time with the Cubs. He's actually really good on the mound. We just didn't see a whole lot of him because of injuries. He appeared in only 14 games of the Cubs this year. So, yeah, a couple of guys in the bullpen there that just didn't quite either because of health or other reasons be as effective as we thought they would be this season. 
And for whatever reason, Manny Rodriguez's velocity was down from last season. Last season, when he came up, he was comfortably sitting in the mid-90s, touching the upper 90s. This season, there were games where he was at 92, 93, 94, and he absolutely needs those extra few MPH on the fastball to be effective. So I don't know if that's the shortened major league season for him coming off injury, just seasonal fluctuation, but uh, hopefully he's able to get those few ticks on the fastball back because he absolutely needs those in order to be an effective major league reliever. Well, let's get to Jeremy's pick here. Uh, in terms of the most disappointing player this year, he went with second baseman Nick Madrigal. Now, remember, Nick Madrigal came over in that trade for Kimbrell, also came over with a pitcher, Cody Hoyer, who we didn't get to see this year. He had the Tommy John. He was out. Randall, how do you feel about that? Is it fair to look at a guy like Nick Madrigal and say, you know what? You disappointed me the most in 22. Yeah, I do think that is fair. A lot of it was injury related, but when he was on the field, the results weren't always there. And this is a guy the Cubs were counting on to be that offensive catalyst, that contact hitter, that pesky guy, that slap hitter who can uh, punch one through the infield with a guy on third, the guy who can move a runner over, which I don't don't move the runner over by getting a base hit. Don't don't ground out to move the runner over. Um, but we didn't really see that. There was a stretch kind of in uh, July, August, as he came off the IL, that he was starting to get back to that form, and then he ended up injured again. Um, yeah, I think, they think it is fair to call his first season as a Cub disappointing. We didn't get to see as much of him as we'd like, and when we did get to see him, we weren't necessarily seeing what we were hoping for. So I don't think that's unfair at all. Yeah, and I think the expectation is he'd be the everyday guy at second base, so that makes it hurt even more. And now things get muddled as the Cubs appear to be very aggressively pursuing a shortstop in free agency this winter. Well, then what does that do with Nico? And then you play the domino effect there and you see where does Madrigal even fit in terms of day-to-day -day needs next year for the Cubs. And I think this is something we'll get into as we do kind of a full debrief. I think if the Cubs potentially have one roster issue um, going into next season, it might be that they have three guys whose best position is second base. I think yeah. second base is Morell's best infield position. I think you can hide some of the throwing issues at second base. We know Nico is a good shortstop, but he's a great second baseman. And Nick Madrigal's only defensive position is second base. So I think if this team has any issues on the roster, it might be that you have three potential second baseman and you might not be able to use all three of them and Morel, I think will work himself out but Nico versus Madrigal that's something they're going to have to figure out depending on yeah. who they bring in on the infield well the guy that disappointed me the most is also an infielder I went with David Bodie and maybe it's not totally fair because part of the disappointment was he was hurt all year and that's not really something he can control but to only get 40 games this year out of David Bodie and only four home runs yeah he had a three-run shot today in Cincinnati but it's got me wondering whether there's even a roster spot for David Bodie next year. Cubs have a 40-man crunch that they're going to have to get figured out here, and I don't know where David Bodie fits in it, even though he's under contract for another season or two. So that, I was disappointed with David Bodie. That's fair. Their roster spots are at a premium. David Bodie, again, is a guy they were counting on for more. Injury and ineffectiveness determined that that was not going to be the case. And I don't think it's out of the question that they might try and trade him for that, you know, as a cost-controlled asset this offseason. Or they might just jettison him entirely. I don't think that's out of the question at all for as little as he factored in in a season where he would have gotten, I think, plenty of opportunities to try and prove he's worthy of that roster spot next year. So once again, I don't think that's being terribly unfair. Yeah. 
And I'll think about it too over the next week. We'll get Randall back or Jeremy rather back I'm next here. week. Yeah, you are here. I'm looking right at you. I'm just uh, always thinking about Randall, even when I'm talking about Jeremy. Uh, one more question for you on the team here. David Ross, three years of David Ross skipper, not just David Ross World Series hero. Yay, nay, like, are, how are you feeling about David Ross today at the end of 22? You know, somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm certainly not in favor of firing him because I don't think this is the point in this team's development to start the managerial hunt. Um, yeah, I, I don't think a marked upgrade is out there. I don't think there's a Joe Madden who is the perfect fit for a team on the rise who's about to become a free agent manager. So I'm definitely not in favor of jettisoning him. There were times this season where he made some decisions that I, I just – we're head shaking as far as the lineup, as far as playing certain players, as far as uh, some pitching decisions. But you know what? I think these are complaints that every fan base have of the, has of their manager. I think if you polled 30 fan bases, or 29 plus the Cubs, I think they would all say the same thing, whether they like their manager, whether they don't like their manager, whether the manager has just won uh, a World Series or whatever. So uh, I'm not nay. I'm not yay. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm I'm like nay yay, yay nay, whatever you want to call that. Um, but I'm <laughs> certainly course. not. In, I'm certainly not in favor of jettisoning him. And I would like to see him at the helm in a full season with a competitive roster before I make any judgments over whether he's the manager of the future. Well, I agree with you there for sure. Like, let's give this guy more to work with. Yeah. Where I disagree with you is that I'm actually really impressed with David Ross overall. You get the division title the first year, that wacky COVID year. I think what he's had to go through the last two years in terms of trading World Series heroes, a breakdown of a roster, I think he's handled it about as well as you can. The clubhouse has been not a problem for the last couple of years. And now you got all these young guys coming up that are immediately playing and contributing. So, yeah, there was some frustrations back in May, like, gosh, does Jason Hayward still have to be in the lineup? That stuff worked itself out. I think the clubhouse stuck together, and I think that is more important than maybe I gave it credit for five or ten years ago. Like, you got to manage a lot of egos when you're a major league manager. I never felt that the Cubs were unprepared. I never felt the coaching staff was unprepared at any point this year. I felt they lost games because of a lack of quality players in the roster, Correct. but not really because of something the coaching staff could have done. And I'm super impressed with elements of the coaching staff, the pitching infrastructure, Hadavi, Breslow. I really like that. So I'm happy with David Ross and I'm optimistic that this guy is going to win some playoff games as manager of the Chicago Cubs, possibly as soon as next year. So we'll see what Jeremy thinks on that next week. Uh, let's talk about playoffs here really quickly. Then we got some international baseball news. We're going to wrap this thing up. Randall, it has never been easier to cheer for Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper. Phillies do not win the National League East, not even close. No, nope. they get the Cardinals here in the opening wild card round. Best of three in St. Louis. This new format we're trying here. Let's go Phillies. Uh, yeah, w without question. Honestly, three out of the four wild card matchups: Phillies at St. Louis, Padres at Mets, Mariners at Blue Jays. All three of those are really compelling. Yeah. Uh, Philly St. Louis is compelling because down with St. Louis, I want them out as soon as possible. Let the rest sort itself out. San Diego at the Mets. That's a compelling matchup because the Mets had control of that division all year yeah. long. And as the Mets are wont to do, because Ron Santo wills it. So they collapsed down the stretch. And now they're hosting a best of three wildcard series against a really strong Padres team who picked it up at the end of the season. And they clinched that playoff spot for themselves. And 
as a rare, a rare site, the Mariners and the Blue Jays, that's a matchup where I actually really like both teams. And honestly, my one complaint there is that one of them isn't going to advance. Whoever does come out of that matchup, I hope makes a real deep run. And then the fourth matchup is the Rays at the Guardians. It's just a battle of anonymity. I don't know that that's my <laughs> most compelling series necessarily. But honestly, for as much as I don't like the expanded playoffs, this um, played out as three matchups that I will at least be paying attention to. So the four teams that get the buys, the Yankees, the Astros, the Atlanta Braves, who led that National League East for fewer than a week this year. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It matters nope. where you are at the end of the season, and they end Correct. up on top. The Dodgers, the one seed in the National League. Uh, totally with you. All Phillies here. Just end it for Yachty. End it for Albert. Let's just move on from that. Plus, Phillies-Braves could be a lot of fun in that next round matchup. Uh, San Diego, New York, that's going to be very compelling to me because of what happened to the Mets. The New York Mets were in first place for 170 days going back to March. What happens to them now in a short series against a good team in San Diego? San Diego lost their best player to kind of a controversial thing earlier in the year. Do they show up? That's going to be really good baseball, but it feels like all the pressure's on the Mets. Well, the Mets blow two things, trumpets and divisions, and they've successfully blown both of those things this season. Let's see if they can add a uh, a playoff series. Let's see if they can add a playoff series to the list of things that the Mets blow. Well, I'm also in agreement with you in the American League in that it's just disappointing that Seattle and Toronto play each other. I hope it goes the distance there, but it's disappointing that one of those teams are going to have to bow out a little bit early and that Seattle's not going to get uh, home playoff game that's a little bit of a bummer unless they can find a way past toronto and then you get the astros but longest playoff drought in major league baseball for seattle they haven't been in it since 2001 just a bit of a bummer that there's no guaranteed home game for them at this point as for tampa bay cleveland i don't like either of those teams no. to be honest with you but cleveland played great baseball nobody had them winning the american league central and i think i'd rather it be cleveland than tampa bay i want to see teams that spend money be rewarded. So in that regard, I kind of want the Mets to make a little bit of a run here. I don't like a team like Tampa Bay being rewarded and Cleveland's got an awful payroll as well. So yikes over there, go Yankees when they meet them next. Exactly. Three out of four um, compelling matchups in this wild card round. Ronan, I know you've seen the broadcast crews for these series yeah. and I know you have some thoughts. We are uh, we are wrapping up towards the end here, but if there's one sure. thing I know you're capable of doing, it's it's doing a lot of complaining in a very short time. Yeah. Hit it. I just, the real losers in all this are the fans who have to put up with really four awful broadcast crews. Uh, that's not totally fair. There's two really bad broadcast crews. The primary broadcast crew with Carl Ravitch and a Buster Olney and all that, that does nothing for me. I think Sunday Night Baseball has been a, a complete waste this year. Uh, Michael K., Alex Rodriguez, Good God, who needs that? Who wants that? And it's going to be uh, the the Phillies Cardinals. So it's just like a perfect storm God. of nonsense. Yeah. Uh, you got the probably the best booth with Boog and Glanville. So what do you do? Let's make it just awful by throwing Jesse Rogers, Jesse Rogers into the mix, right? So you just can't have a perfect crew there. And then Dave Fleming, wonderful play-by-play -play broadcaster, you throw in Jessica Mendoza with that, and she doesn't do anything for me. So I just feel like ESPN has no real perfectly solid broadcast crew. The best bunch there with Boog and Glanville. Let's just piss off Ronan by throwing Jesse Rogers into the mix. I'll be watching it. I love playoff baseball. I just think if you're trying to grow the sport, 
and you're ESPN and you're spending millions of dollars on exclusive broadcast rights, you've got to do better than Michael Kay and Jesse Rogers. Seems like a big miss. It does. It's definitely not a Ronino-centric broadcast crew in the wild card round. And all we can do is hope that as certain matchups end, certain broadcast teams kind of fall off the table and it gets better from there. Yeah. And to be honest, I'll be watching these games, but not much attention being paid to the sound. Nope. Have the volume turned down, enjoy the atmosphere, still the playoff baseball, and then hopefully things get better in the divisional series. Background let's, noise. Let's get out of Major League Baseball here. One of the things we're looking forward to next season that has nothing to do with the Cubs is the World Baseball Classic, which is coming back next spring. Randall, you got a couple updates on some new faces in the World Baseball Classic. I do indeed. The World Baseball Classic qualifiers have been going for the last week or so. There were four open spots for next year's tournament. Three of them have already been claimed by virtue of uh, winning or placing second in these qualifier tournaments. Uh, in the, the in those three of those four final spots next year will be Great Britain, the Czech Republic, and Panama. And then the fourth spot will go to either Brazil or Nicaragua. And I believe that game is probably going on as we record on the evening of Wednesday, Wednesday October 5th. And that's really neat to me. I've been effusive in my praise for the World Baseball Classic. I think for as much as MLB screws things up, the World Baseball Classic is a good thing. It's a lot of fun. And it's neat to me to see uh, these at least two of these countries that you don't think of as not just being baseball powerhouses. You don't think of them as having baseball players at all. Yeah. And, you know, Great Britain and the Czech Republic, it's a lot of guys who I think are of descent more so than uh, uh, maybe native born. But, you know, that's still pretty neat, honestly. And it, it's neat that we're going to see a team from the, the Czech Republic competing against some of the po most powerful programs in the world uh, next spring. So I do like that quite a bit. Um, and again, I like the World Baseball Classic. I like the teams from uh, the different countries. And there were some really interesting countries in this yeah. qualifier tournament, countries from Pakistan, countries from New Zealand, which can brag uh, former major leaguer Brian Mattis, Cubs legend, as one of their coaches. Um, so, yeah, this is really neat to me. You know, I give MLB a lot of shit and rightfully so because they suck a lot of the time. Yeah. But the World Baseball Classic and what it does for international baseball is a very good thing. I agree. And I was very skeptical that I would even enjoy it when it launched. It's gotten better and better every time that they've done it. And one of the things I've talked about on this podcast has been grow the game, grow it globally. I think it's awesome. The Cubs and Cardinals are going to be playing in London next summer. Let's see this Great Britain baseball team in Czech Republic. Very, very cool stuff there. And it helps break up sort of the everyday routine you get into with spring training. And while we said earlier in the show, we're looking forward to a normal spring training. It's going to be nice to have some games to watch in February and in March with a little bit of a flair to it before the major league baseball regular season gets going. So we'll have lots more on that throughout the off season here. This is our 85th podcast, Randall Cubs history. Have there been any 85s? There has been one number 85. It has been a player and it was in the illustrious 2021 season that belongs to infielder Trent Jambroni or the giant trombone. Oh, yeah. If you spoonerize his name a little bit, um, which is just fun to say the giant trombone, but he is the only player or coach to wear number 85 during or in a regular season game in Chicago Cubs history. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, awesome to be the only guy to do anything for a team that goes back to 1876. Here's another old team that loses and loses and loses the Chicago bears Ugly loss over the weekend in New York. Uh, not going to get any better here as they go to take on the Minnesota Vikings. This weekend, uh, Vikings have matched the Packers for the first four weeks of the regular season. I've got no optimism this is going to be a W this weekend for the Bears. 
Probably not. There's not a whole lot of optimism about the Bears total at the moment. Just get get Cousins to throw that one backbreaking pick at the end of the game. Maybe keep it close enough that that pick ends up turning the tide. I, I don't have a lot of faith in the offense right now, but Cousins is always hilarious. Get this defense to harass him a little bit. Maybe he'll say something really funny on a hot mic again. We're the reason they flexed this game to prime time, and then he lays an egg. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping for Cousins to shit himself more so than the Bears to do anything worthwhile. And you know what? That's a fair thing to hope for because he's very good at that. Well, I'm getting more and more worried about the quarterback situation with the Chicago Bears and the viability of Justin Fields moving forward. It's not all on him. They don't have very good wide receivers. He's getting hit left and right when he drops back. Not much time to throw the ball. And they run like crazy. But it's just a bad combo there. And the optimism that I had that, hey, maybe this might be the quarterback of the future, with each and every game, it's breaking harder and harder for me to think that that's where this is going. So who knows, you know, anything can happen when the bears take on a team like the Vikings, but I think this is going to be a bad one and I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope so too. Go Justin Fields, go bears. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see where all that goes. Well, we'll be back next week. We'll have Jeremy full crew here. Like I said, we'll do a more thorough season recap. Just take a couple days to reflect on the season. And then we'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like. Also some trends, the best stretch of baseball, the Cubs played the worst stretch. We'll have some cool stats for you as well next time, but uh, no game Randall between now and the next time that we talk. And I got to admit, I'm bummed about that here as we bring the show to a close. That's the thing that I never am comfortable with. It always takes a week or two at the end of the year. Like, why is there no game today? Makes me sad. As I say at the end of every season, the only thing sucks than having, the only thing sucks more than watching the Cubs when they're bad is not having the Cubs to watch it all. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, we'll mourn it here tonight. We'll get Jeremy back next week. Looking forward to that one. For Randall, this is Ronan. Thanks for joining us. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. We'll see you next week.